the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, all about the Arizona Cardinals and the NFL, featuring insider and outsider perspectives. Enjoy the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Now here are your hosts, Jess Root and Seth Cox. Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, the best hour Cardinals talk on the web. I'm your host, Jess Root, from CardsWire.com, the USA Today NFL Wire site covering, of course, your favorite team, the Arizona Cardinals, my favorite team as well. And this is episode 486. Seth Cox is with me back from a short hiatus. He didn't do the second show, so we had a special guest, Blake Murphy, who's been on the show before. Um, Seth Cox from RevengeOfTheBirds.com, the SB Nation site for the Arizona Cardinals, and also one of the hosts of the original Draft Breakdown podcast. Seth and I last got together for the review show for last week, which was the embarrassment of the Browns' loss. But guess what? Seth, we finally get to talk about a win. We get to talk about Kyler Murray. We get to talk about a win. We get to talk about good stuff. And this is this is so much better to talk about. And there's a lot to talk about, right? Because Kyler's back. Connor's back. Um, the Cardinals won a game, and they did it in dramatic fashion. Things things look and feel good. And, and I'll tell you this. The vibe around Kyler Murray and the fan base has changed so much. Now, there are Kyler haters, but I love to see, and there was so much Kyler love in that stadium. It was it was wonderful to see because guess what? That's the way that's the what the fan base should think of their franchise quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, what has kind of been missing from the whole thing is that it just never felt like they were the fans or, or were really um, engaging or, or like you said, believing or loving on Kyler. And now it was, it was good to see the reaction in a positive way. It was good to see, you know, how people felt about him. And, and it's good to see that this is something positive that can hopefully just continue to go in a direction that gives, gives Kyler confidence, but also gives this entire franchise the boost it needs to kind of i don't i mean you and i have tried to spell it out especially you know written but i just don't think people understand the setback of having to draft another quarterback in this in this situation because it it especially now where you're not picking top two so you don't just get to pick one of the two like the amount of other things that now have to occur to and assets that you have to forfeit and and if you guess wrong and let's be honest a lot of times it is a guess um you end up like the carolina panthers right oh my gosh yes and and that's remember people forget the ceiling that kyler murray has the 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 absolute game-changing ability he has and and he hasn't he has not We've seen, like, on, on the passing game as a player, we still haven't seen all of it yet. And I think that's coming, especially now in a new offense. It's, it's forcing him to be a better quarterback. But when you look at guys, like, in, in, in college, like Caleb Williams, guess what? 
what do we see Caleb Williams doing? Doing some great stuff, playing on a team that's got a terrible defense. He's struggling to win. <laughs> I'm like, and, and Caleb Williams, honestly, I look at Caleb Williams as, a, is he a, a, does he have a better stature for it? But you could, what you basically hope is that he can do what Kyler Murray has already done. And if you've already got Kyler Murray, why, unless, unless, unless you philosophically believe in the different quarterback frame, why would you blow that up to get the same guy? Yeah, and, you know, the reality becomes this is just one of those situations where they need to make a – they need this to work out. And it we'll see if it happens. And, and for right now, you know, it hasn't. And so um, – but, you know, step one or game one and if the return is a positive. Let's talk about, though, it, it, what we're going to talk about in this episode – um, it's our review show. We're going to talk Kyler. We're going to talk the good things. There's lots. There are lots of things to be positive about. We'll talk about things we concerned us. And, and then lastly, let, let, let's kind of look at the schedule the rest of the way. Eight. The, Car- the Cardinals get eight starts of Kyler Murray. They've got one down, one win. How many more wins can they possibly get in those eight games? So let's start the Kyler. The Kyler play. We saw a little bit of everything. It wasn't perfect. In fact, the stat line, if you look at just the stat line, you're going to be a little disappointed. And I'll be, I'll be honest. When you look at the passing numbers, it was v- vaguely familiar to some of the two games that he had in this first couple of seasons because he didn't have like gaudy touchdown numbers, which is the one thing I think we've in his productive in the first four years of his career we kind of hoped that as a passer he would develop into a slightly more volume passer and be a little more and get more touchdown passes those always look great for quarterback numbers he ended up having 249 passing yards that's totally fine no touchdown passes should have had a touchdown pass, but and in, in, then that got turned into not even a Kyler rushing touchdown, but a Clayton Toon rushing touchdown um, off of Michael Wilson. The one interception. And so his passing numbers and his passer rating were real pedestrian. But what we got to see is his first work in this offense. And wow. As, and and w- the stuff that we saw from Josh Dobbs when he was playing well, this was really it was really nice to see. And let's be honest, he probably should have had a 300-yard passing game. Elijah Higgins with a, just an inexcusable drop that, oh my gosh! And and then the the throw to Hollywood, like I, I don't blame him for making that throw on that third. That's the one question. I'm like ah. You had Trey McBride just wide open on that third down with so much room, but you also had you had Hollywood behind a defender wide open in the end zone, and you just just a little just a little too much. And that's been that's been the case the last year and a half. That Kyler hadn't been able to get quite get that deep connection with Hollywood on the field um, since the beginning of last season. Yeah, and so that'll be one of the big things, you know, and then and then you look at it, even the touchdown, even though I know that um, 
Kyler, you know, ended up taking responsibility for it. The reality was that's that's a lot of that's on Trey. That just comes with that just comes with experience, and it's not a negative thing on Trey. He, you know, obviously we'll talk about his phenomenal game, but um, the fact of the matter is, you know, as you get further along in your career, you start to make side adjustments, and and you start to make in game and on the field site adjustments and he's just not Trey's just not there yet and and you know if anything it's kind of a positive in my eye that Kyler threw it it understanding they were in a too high look and he didn't want to get Trey killed right like yeah. he wanted to, he wanted to give Trey a chance to catch the ball and and so you just look at it from that perspective you know, you can take a positive away from that, even though it, it does show up as an interception on the stat sheet. But I mean, man, it, overall, it was just it was great to see him back. And you see the difference in in what he provides this team that we've talked about. It just lacks talent. And there's nothing wrong with saying that uh, it just lacks the talent of other teams. Um, and and th- that's the difference. And he just makes he just he makes up for those holes or those that lack of talent, right? It, absolutely. And I will say this. You pointed out how, how Kyler took responsibility. That was something like Kyler haters, Kyler haters, I need you guys to listen to this. All, all of the all of y'all middle-aged like people like me that are like, Kyler, this. This is something we don't normally hear from Kyler. Kyler doesn't like to take the, verbally – He's been. He's never been one to say, "Hey, that's on me." And he always talks about we need to be better. And that there was the question. In fairness, he was asked what happened on that concept. Was should Trey have sat on that? And and he says, "Well, conceptually, yes, but we'd never. It was a miscommunication because we'd never talked about this. So he was right. doing and what it, he was supposed to do. So he's like, that's on me." And he's like, he said that this is something we haven't heard much from Kyler. And this is for those people who have always criticized Kyler. Listen to that maturity. This is that's like what Carson Palmer. That's what Josh Dobbs. That's what Jonathan Gannon does. Like his, that's on me. So he understood that conceptually, Trey should have stopped. That's what the question was. But then he also said he did not throw his teammate under the bus, which is where we've seen that a little bit, and it's you know people it it, it rubs some people the wrong way. But he said. Well, you know, there's a miscommunication. We'd never had talked about that. So he was doing what he was supposed to do. You know, I, you know, in that read, that's what should happen, but we never talked about it. I thought that was extremely mature of him, and he made sure to say it that way. And I think, you know, I believe that is. I think that is 100% the influence of, of the new head coach in Jonathan Gannon because of preaching that type of accountability is... I think that permeates through the locker room, and, and it's just one of those things that I love to see. And, and I believe when it, with Gannon and, and this team, I've believed from the beginning that Kyler would thrive because of the demands and the hard coaching. Because Kyler is competitive, he will take to hard coaching, and as long as he sees that it is successful, guess what? He will do it, and I, he'll thrive. And, and I, I believe that was what was lacking with Cliff during those four years, because I always felt like Cliff was just like, I, I love Kyler, yes, do your thing. Instead of saying, Kyler, we need you to do this, 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 and this. Let's do this. I expect this out of you. And now they're doing that, 
and he's and he's flourishing. Nobody, it wasn't asked of him before that whether it was, and I don't think it was on Kyler. I also think when he came into the league, the team was just, "Wow, you're here!" Instead of, "Okay, let's do this." We need. You. They already anointed him that first year, and I know that rubbed some guys the wrong way. In fact, it, I it, there was some friction. It wasn't necessarily a friction between Kyler and Fitz, but when we heard comments from guys who had had private conversations with Fitzgerald, they did not, like, Fitz did not like the way the franchise handled Kyler Murray, the rookie. Right, and that's a big thing. And So we'll see how that, you know, changes as as this goes on, as he, you know, takes over leadership and maturity role. And, and those are things that, you know, we hadn't, like you said, we hadn't seen before. So we'll see how this goes now. Other good things to like to see, just the, I I loved the fact that he was not a, he he played like he was himself the the mobility the speed that that plays with his legs was was it was just great to see that hey you know the fear that we all had that in the initial par is like is he going to RG3 this you watch the way he moved there was it you would have never known that he had any injury no and that was a big thing like you said that was that was one of the biggest question marks we were going to have about the whole situation is could they get through this and and you know the answer initially is yes um you know and it's one game and and it's against a a mediocre albeit team fighting for a playoff spot and that is going to help determine what what this team is moving forward because as much as the tryout of of kyler is important like i talked about at the beginning it's the it's the overall team and what they look like that really is going to matter right and they have to look like a franchise heading in the right direction even if they end up and i don't think they will and we'll talk about this but even if they end up three and 14 right they if they're if they're competing against every team and there's no more games like there was against Cleveland, then you're like, okay, they're going in the right direction. Um, you know, but on the flip side, if things are if things are going poorly and and you know he's not buying in now and other guys aren't buying in, it makes it really difficult, right? And so that's the the good vibes from the game one are important, but it's carrying those through game by game that really is what is going to make the difference and and not just for this year, but for the immediate future of the franchise. And you know, it was also great the scenario in which Kyler came back and the end of game. Um, we'll talk about like the things that were good and bad, but first game back. He gets the ball with two minutes and a, two and a half minutes left in the game, and he leads them down the field, and they win the game. It was a game-winning drive in a game that you know they got clutch. They got clutch. That Trey McBride had a great game, but just to see Kyler, like that's the sort of thing, like Josh Dobbs did at Minnesota. Now these a lot of these guys had a belief in Kyler already. But to get your quarterback back, your starter, and for a lot of the guys it's new, to immediately, in game one, all right, 
and he goes out and brings together a clutch game-winning Zanato. So fourth quarter comeback because it was they were down, they were down up to they were down a point, um, down a point, game-winning drive to do it in the fashion they did it, including that just absolute that that run. That 13-yard run that he had to run 68 yards to run for 13 yards, which was that was vintage Kyler, if, if you can call vintage Kyler for guys that have been, you know, a yeah, handful five, of years. five years, four years in the league. Yeah. <laughs> vintage Kyler, it, but it, it, that's the sort of thing. I think that's something to build on, both, both as a teammate, because it's like it's almost like he was a rookie again, but he's like a an old rookie. And he but comes he back basic- in immediately, and he wins a game for them, and that that's going to be that's got to be so great for that locker room. But it, he basically is a rookie. I mean, that's the reality. He's a rookie that is getting healthy for the first time. You know, playing in a new offense, playing under a new coaching staff, like all of those things that you can't discount. You know, he's he's doing, and and that's the reality right now, and. Like you said, to get a win in that scenario is is just so big for the belief in things because I think that is one of the big things that we need to discuss. Isn't it? Isn't the um, overall like, oh, is this team going to compete? Blah blah blah. No, it's it's literally what are and I know this is a. a millennial term at this point but like what are the vibes right what are the vibes of the franchise and right now the vibes before before that game the vibes were very down you know the vibes were not in a good spot and so i think now you look at it and you go okay you feel like you're heading in the right direction and that's a huge thing i mean that's just it can't be understated that that is what this team has desperately needed. Yes. Coming up next on the Rise of Series podcast, Mr. Cardinals talk on the web. Let's move on beyond the Kyler factor. What other good things did we see from in that game? That's coming up next on Rise of Red. We're back on the Rise of Sea Red podcast, Mr. Cardinals talk on the web. I mean, it's a win, so there's lots of good things to talk about, but like this was not only the Kyler Murray comeback, it was the Trey McBride breakout, and uh, I, I I remember it was you or Blake in the in the in the group chat to talk about it. All last year as a rookie, Steve Kime, everyone they they all had Trey pegged as a Max Williams type player, like the complete like and and in fairness he did do a ton of blocking at Colorado State, but he was. He was great. He was the best tight end in the nation because of what he did as a pass catcher last year. And, and maybe it was in part because they already had Zach Ertz. And so you, you weren't going. But I'll be honest, poor Ertz sitting on IR. And you know what he's doing? He's seeing his job taken away. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's not unexpected. They're, you know, they're obviously a very talented um, he's a very talented player and they drafted him for this scenario, right? They drafted him to become the 
franchise in the future at tight end, something that they've just never had. Um, and he just has so much more juice than Max does now, right? Like, unfortunately, Max is, you know, you talked about Kyler and age. The reality is Max is old at this point. Are, are you talking but, about Zach? Zach or Zach, yeah, yeah, Zach, sorry. Yeah. Zach well, is Max old. was in the same situation last year. He was, he was, wa- like, he was... <laughs> washed but that was because like his knee just didn't come back he he could barely like he didn't like max williams doesn't walk normal anymore and so last no, year, the fact and, that he was able feel, to play was you feel awesome you yes. feel awful for him right like he gave him he gave everything to the game and and that's just the cruelty of the nfl and you know it's one of the reasons that even though nobody wants to talk about it it's one of the reasons you do you were worried about kyler right because we've seen this from the game we've seen this from the league and it's nothing against you know the league itself but like the reality is there's just there's a lot of guys that get hurt and they just are never the same guy or or the injuries take a toll and i i get it was his first true kind of injury situation but he you know kyler is so uh dynamic that it once that's gone it's a problem and and so to see him play like he did man that was because like you said like the passing that's just going to be a timing thing let's just be honest like that's that's just about game reps getting more of them and being ready for them and um you know they got to get there and get used to it but with with the running thing that was the biggest concern we've never been worried about can kyler still make the throws because we know he can um the arm question is or the arms never been an issue or a question but did he have the athleticism to continue to make highlight plays and and the the answer was a just a resounding yes right it was it was now we've we've all heard the the stat we've been waiting for this 100 yard tight end game since robbie walton 1989 now granted crazy crazy stat is the fact that the cardinals have a hall of fame tight end in their in their history in jackie smith he never had a hundred yard game. In fact, because the the only hundred yard games that the Titans have ever had was in '88, Gene Evichek had one. '89, Rob Ewalt had one, and now Trey McBride. Um, but it's it, I don't know what it is, but I guess they figured out that he either they found the right role for him because Ertz is out, and so you can use Jeff Swaim in that max williams role like basically let's not call it a max williams role. it's a jeff swain role that's what jeff swain's done his entire career he he can catch a few passes but he's not a dynamic pass catcher he'll catch the ball and get tackled like you you put him underneath as a as a safety outlet catch the ball might run it for a couple yards get tackled and he's a and he's a very solid blocker swain's playing the role that he's built to play uh and mcbride is your pass catching tight end who can also he's a willing blocker and he's he's a better blocker than Zach Gertz um but like he made a lot of mistakes last year as a rookie but to see him flourish into you know someone who could be a consistent playmaker that's fun that's fun to see and and there was other things in the games that, that you had to like as well like in individual players 
you know, we worried about the transition when they went from Nolan. Well, when one, when Andy Lee didn't come back, and they went with Nolan Cooley, Cooney at, as punter, and then they cut Cooney and brought in Blake Gilligan, Gilligan, oh, however you pronounce his name, and then you saw how mad Brader was a couple of weeks ago when the hold was stupid and he missed it, but to go four for four. No issues with that the 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 snaps or the hold two two from fifty plus yards the game winner Prater who I believe I believe is the league's all time greatest kicker in the final two minutes of game I do not remember I I think I remember hearing that stat so I'm not gonna I don't want to like declare that as as truth if I believe that is the case but in terms of individuals Matt Prater was great I you know when this drops on Wednesday. I honestly, I think I'll be surprised if he isn't offensive. I mean, sorry, special teams player of the week for the NFC. And then, yeah, because because he had what two two beyond fifty plus the game winner, four total. I mean, that's 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 a player of the week type week for for special teams, right? And you know, it was just it was great to see, and all of these things, you know, are are coming into into focus in a positive way now and, and the team just has to continue to build off of off of what was an excellent win and excellent performance overall and then the the the, the other guy we have to we have to st- we have to definitely shout out is um Seth's second favorite bj in the world and that's bj <laughs> bj ojolari playing more his role is growing and picked up two sacks and looked really good doing it um, yeah and he's and and like you said he's just growing into the role which is you know we we were wondering because he was just so underutilized early right Um, and and, and, you know and i they slow played him and now we're starting to see why because he was the the times that he'd been playing on the field it felt kind of invisible and like this last weekend at home against the falcons he had two sacks but he was also all over the field i think it was eight tackles eight tackles in that game so he his role, and I don't know if the playing time was the result of how good he was playing or whether he got the playing time because his role was increased because of what he was doing in practice. But you got to see, like, we, we knew he was athletic, but he's the guy that gives you some elite bend uh, off the edge there. Like, you've got Collins, who is extremely strong and athletic. And, and I think that's something, too, is that Collins is turning into – a very sound um, edge defender, like you said, not not the spectacular rusher that that you know you would hope, but he's turning into a really nice player. That's gonna he looks like projects that he could be you know a six to eight sack a year guy, which is I think more than enough. It's somebody else becoming that premier guy and maybe even that's when Collins kicks down or, or comes off the field every once in a while, but he's becoming so dynamically good against the run that now with Ojolari stepping up and it's crazy to look at this numbers, man, it's crazy to think about this Gardeck five sacks, Demikaji four sacks, Collins three and a half and Ojolari three, that's 15 and a half sacks from their edge players. You and I, 
you you could that's, have asked us. That's and that's, that's those are the numbers that we kind of wanted to see. Right, if we were talking right. off the season, that's that was roughly the production we we hoped we would get from that group, like for a full season. Right, that's right. Like and we're we ten games in, and yeah. and that's the thing is like, I just think that we're getting to the point in a positive way where. And and we're just seeing so much of of Gannon and Rallis and how talented they are at getting positive play out of out of players. And I think, you know, obviously Collins and, and Demikaji weren't their draft picks, but I think we can both agree that they're getting more out of those guys than than the previous regime did. And you and I have always said Vince Joseph seems like he's an incredibly good schemer of things, but he runs his scheme and it works or it doesn't. Whereas it feels like Rallis and Gannon, we don't even kind of really know what their scheme is because they're so busy making sure that they implement things that work for everybody on the roster. Yeah, it's it's been really, really fun to see. Um James Conner in the lineup was was a boost. And Man, doesn't he just like change the dynamic? Does. It's it's unfortunate and it's great. I mean, it's unfortunate because a running back, we're, you and I are never team running backs don't matter in the least, but a running back shouldn't dictate that much, if that makes sense. <laughs> well, and it's weird because you you expect that from certain running backs to have that much of an impact. Because James Conner is not a premier running back. No, not in the least. But he is, in terms of impact for this team, he has the same sort of impact that a premier runner has. But at the same time, the fact that when he left, and, and it was DiMarcato that that was holding things down, but it, it's great to have him back, and we hope. like And it was... The questions like, oh, is Connor Hunt? No, they, they snap counted him. They snap counted him because there right. was a couple of drives you're like, why is Keontae Ingram in there? Man, and speaking <laughs> of the old regime, man, that guy's bad. Um, I think we do need to shout out a couple of other guys, right? Uh, obviously, uh, you know, Paris Johnson Jr. just continues to grow um, as a player and, and what he's done. But... Kelvin Beecham, the 30, what, three-year-old now, 33, 34-year-old, um, did a fantastic game in his first game back at left tackle. He's almost, he'll be, yeah, he's 34 and a half. So older, older gentleman, um, played very well at left tackle. Carter O'Donnell. Um, that you know, was a was, shock. When I was like, yeah, hey, it, Carter it, O'Donnell starting? The guy had played 17 NFL snaps, period. And those were the 17 snaps he played last week. He had never played in an NFL game, and then he was starting at left guard, which that left guard spot, wow. That's a Elijah Wilkinson, Tristan Cologne, Dennis Staley. And that was weird because when, when Gannon talked about it, it was like, what about Dennis Daly? Maybe it's because they like Daly's um, flexibility, I yeah. guess, better. I don't know. But, yeah, that was, that was a surprise to see O'Donnell in the lineup, and it was. You didn't notice. You didn't notice him being out there, which is, you know, for the offensive line. Normally, when's the only time you really, especially an interior defender, when's the only time you notice when uh, they're bad? Yeah. It's it's when they're bad. <laughs> tackles you can see you you can notice the tackles against edge guys dominant. You see you can see that he's doing really well. 
The interior guys, if you don't notice them, they had a good game because if they're having a bad game, you notice them. You'll, you'll notice a guy stunt right by him or or get bull rushed into like gets get put on skates backwards into the pocket and and that was and, and that's interesting because in terms of an evaluative types thing. You love to see that because he's a guy they picked up off waivers who was a nobody. Like Carter O'Donnell was a nobody, and if he develops, if he can be a serviceable starter every time, that's a win. Yeah, and that was a huge moment for them, you know, of of getting there and, and it being a positive thing, like you said. Um, I think you know it wasn't pretty by any means but getting a game out of will hernandez hurting as bad as he was um i think it was i don't remember if it was darren or if it was um josh or or who the media person was that mentioned just how banged up he was before the game and that they were shocked to see him out even warming (laughs) up because he was just so beat up um, I guess, you know, he is, he's a dude. I mean, he is just a tough, tough SOB. And I think to see him back out there, it just, you know, it goes to show you so much of this stuff is just showing up. And and a lot of times there are guys that just aren't, you know, aren't good enough, but Will Hernandez is such a talented player that when he's on the field, it changes the complexion of of the the game. Yeah, and, and it was helpful. It was helpful in the fact that Grady Jarrett is out for the rest of the season, and David Onyemata was unable to play. And so the I mean, I think going against Centavia Street, who's not who's not a bad player, but that that was helpful in a game where Hernandez was not one hundred percent. Right. I think in that yelled the Froholt. I mean, we'll talk about it. Had probably his worst game in the season, and then, like you said, we're starting a guy named Connor Carter O'Donnell. Like, so, so that's, that's a two last name guy, right? And so, <laughs> to have that happening, and then to see the positive outcome, like I said, I think it was just a. I think it was, it was great overall on the offensive side of the ball. Coming to next on the Rise of Red Podcast, best of Cardinals talk on the web. We've talked all the good stuff. Let's let's get down to nitty gritty. Where's stuff that we were a little bit disappointed in? That's coming next on Recipes Red. We're back on the Recipes Red podcast. We start Cardinals talk on the web. Uh, talking Cardinals Falcons. They pick up their their first their first win since since week three. Snapping that that three, six game losing streak. Not everything was good. Obviously, um, like you if you're looking at the defense now. You look at the the raw numbers, only 254 yards allowed, good. 7 of 14 on four, third down, not good. Um, the Then you, you look at also the the red zone numbers as well. Um, where are those red zone numbers? They were 3 at 4-4 uh, in the red zone. And, and so... Some of those metrics, like this, is like the opposite of Vance Joseph. Like he, Vance Joseph didn't really care about yards. He looked at third, third down. He looked at red zone, and, and and part of that was because the Falcons were just dead set on running the ball, and they did a good job at it. Over forty rushing, uh, you know, 
184 rushing yards, uh, almost 100 from Bijan Robinson, who looked really good. Um, and so the fact that they, they did struggle to get off the field on third down, this game would have been much better if they'd have, if they'd have gotten two more stops. And in fairness, the officiating was atrocious. For uh, there were three like just bad calls. The roughing the passer call on Dennis Gardeck on on third down, which would have been a punt. You're like, Ugh, why? The the pass interference call on Antonio Hamilton that led to the touchdown. That was also what that, that was brutal but there there were two or three calls you're just like why in heaven's name did they call that but you know they battled but i thought the defense despite only allowing 254 yards had 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 much better games before correct and those things you know all uh they all mattered and, and we saw that this is this is a team that again it lacks talent but it puts guys in a position to be successful and and i think that's what we saw you know it allows guys to make plays it's just a matter that sometimes they're just quite not good enough to make the plays i thought i i, I think we you know we'd be remiss to swing back real quick to the positives to not mention uh, Dante stills and Garrett Williams both played lights out again. Um, obviously if Garrett Williams is good, that's huge because you need as many corners as you can get in, in the NFL. Right. But if still anything like that's the thing, getting a, a guy like that so late in the draft, if he's anything right. And to get, to get a guy that, and if he ends up just being the player, he is right now for the next three seasons and you end up getting a guy that ends up with five sacks and you know um and you know eight to ten tackles for a loss in a season you go sign me up in the sixth round right sign me up and so so i think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention them there were a couple i mean obviously there's always negatives in every game and we try not to harp on those things um penalty too much penalties were one um i thought marco regressed after we'd been complimenting him for for two straight weeks right yeah Um, he took a he took a step back um i thought i thought that the rotation of Lecky Foto and Roy Lopez, which we'd been hoping would take off um, at nose tackle, was kind of a dud this week, which is disappointing. Um, but, you know, again, you can't be too overly critical. I thought, I thought what we saw from these guys this week was was strong enough and and you know we know that's what i said like when you're and i hate saying this when you're counting on lucky Fotu and, and roy lopez to to get 75 snaps combining a game you're getting what you pay for and <laughs> you're paying those two combined what three million dollars maybe like you're just going to get what you pay for another one that he doesn't play a ton but when he was in, it didn't look pretty. That was Zach Pascal, 
you mentioned Elijah Higgins drop. Pascal, it wasn't a drop, but it was definitely one of those plays where you would have just liked to seen a little more effort, right? Right. Um, he didn't fight back hard enough to the ball. Um, you know, I we're not going to harp on it for long because it just is what it is at this point, and it explains so much. But man, Keontae Ingram is a bust. Like, it's just unfortunate. It's the reality. He's just he's a bust at this point. Like it is what it is. Um, you know that's that's a tough thing to say about a guy, but he just lacks any finesse or vision. And for a guy that big and that athletic, those are you should be able to right. you should be able to either be really good at pounding through the line. Or you should be, you're so athletic that you don't need to worry about being overly physical. And, and those things are just not there for him. And then Yelta Froholt, I think this is just a, you know, clear well, reality it was that a he bad, was. Yeah, in for, for the Froholt part, was it was a really bad sequence there in the first half. It was, you're right. But it's also, you know, I always give a guy the. I always give a guy two games to kind of get acclimated with a new quarterback, right? Yeah. Like it's it's different cadence and stuff like that. And it's interesting because we actually had to talk to our like our youth quarterback about this because our normal quarterback is out. He he broke his thumb and and you know, so we got a kid that's very talented backing him up and, and playing right now. And um the the team we were playing this weekend just loves to blitz and they love to all out blitz all the time. And there was a, a situation or a sequence where they were timing up his snap and literally getting a running start on their blitz and then timing it perfectly. And we said, hey, you've got to change your cadence. And so and to explain that to him and then to have him do it, well, you know, that happens in the NFL too. Like these guys aren't robots, so they all don't have the same cadence or same way of doing something so you know i'll give froholt the benefit of the doubt because i thought that was probably his weakest game of his tenure with the cardinals but it's nothing to be like overly overly irritated about um you know and then what is your thought on gillikin like i feel like he, I feel like he's not bad, but I feel like he's just so inconsistent with the depth and the the height of his punts. Like sometimes he really outkicks this the coverage and he opens up easy return lanes, and then sometimes he it's great. It I think there was one on Sunday that was like fantastic, but then sometimes it's like he can't even get the ball for like there's just it just feels like there's no consistency with him. I, I would agree that 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 was that's been one of the more interesting decisions that we've seen this year because I I didn't notice Cooney being bad, bad. Except for, like yeah. except for there were a couple of bad but like what happened when he totally beat out Matt Hawk <laughs> that that was like he totally beat out Matt Hawk and then they're like no four games in nah we're done with you. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it, it's it was it's interesting, and and maybe 
I, I don't know if there's connection with the, any of the coaching staff prior, um, but at least at least with kicking operations, that was that was good. Yeah, it's smooth, and that I think this is crazy to say. I think at this point, that's more important, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, as long as but, you're, but his, you just his, need to his, be an okay punt. Honestly, with your punter, you just can't. Most of the time, if you've got an okay offense, you just need an okay punter. Right. His, but he's career low in in net yards per punt, which means you know not just distance, but amount of amount of return yards and the interesting thing about it is his yards per punt is his career long so he's punting further than ever before but his his yards his net yards per punt is a career low and then he's also got the least amount of punts uh down inside the 20 in his career now again i'm going to give him some time for that because i don't think that the offense has yielded much <laughs> for him no, to have okay. a that's, chance. That's true because, yeah, the offense was bad in those games. And so that that's going to be an interesting thing to to watch for sure. Um, this isn't a negative, but, hey, Clayton Toon, Clayton, this, remember, remember when this looked like what they were going to do with Chris Streveler and then they didn't end up doing it? Right. Um, and, and this, this coaching staff is like, okay, we're, we're going to roll with it. This, this quarterback sneak play that, that tush push that brotherly shove. And, and the fact I really, I really liked that they gave both looks that. So now teams know that Clayton tune in the game means probably a quarterback sneak, but maybe not. And because, right. you know, at six, three, two twenty, that's better than five ten. 207 and and Kyler doesn't like that he doesn't like that play he's never been comfortable with it he's like I don't want he with that's why they never did with Cliff he just didn't like that so I don't know if we'll ever see Kyler do that but I also think it you know again one of the things about that play in particular is it's not as effective as everybody assumes outside of Philadelphia and so those things matter uh when you're looking at it and so to have Clayton Toon, and by the way, Clayton Toon almost fumbled that ball. <laughs> like it was, it was really, really close. And so that's what I mean by it doesn't always work outside of Philadelphia. And, and so that's, what's going to matter in the coming, you know, weeks and, and stuff like that is how do they, how do they get that in there? Um, but yeah, it was, it's good to see him be able to make a positive contribution and and the he was praised by Gannon after the game for for the way he bounced back from that. Like he came back, had a great week of practice, has a role in the offense, and and I I've kind of figured we would never hear from Clayton Tune ever again <laughs> because ideally that's that's what would happen. He didn't play any offensive snaps in the eight games that that Dobbs started. He got he got two more offensive snaps that he'd had all year when Dobbs is the starter. So it's good to see. Yeah, coming up next on the Rise of Sierra podcast, best of Cardinals talk on the web. Let's look at the remaining schedule. How, what can we maybe expect from Kyler in terms of wins? That's coming up next on the Rise of Sea Red. We're back on the Rise of Sea Red podcast, best of Cardinals talk on the web. The Cardinals have seven games left on their schedule. We we kind of thought, I'll, I'll be honest, if we look at it, if I believe, 
I had like I predicted the Cardinals. I I thought I had Kyler coming back, um, in week six when I made my schedule predict like predictions, and I believe my pre- my prediction said to start off that the Cardinals would go zero and three with Kyler's first three games. Back then they would have been one and eight coming into this game when they picked up their 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 next win. And so now we're looking at the season that, that remains. So we've got coming up, you've got Houston on the road. We're not going to talk about that game yet. So we got Houston on the road, who's much better than expected. You get the Rams back at home. You get the Steelers on the road. You get the bye week. And and then in the final games, you've got um, you've got San Francisco again. You've got Chicago, Philadelphia, and you've got uh, Seattle. If you look at the games that that they should like Chicago, d- probably the Cardinals. Like assuming the Cardinals continue on the trajectory on, they should beat the Bears. Yeah, no no injuries. I look at it like this. We'll talk obviously about the Houston game on Thursday, um, but. You look at Houston, L.A., Pittsburgh before the bye week. All three of those games are winnable. I don't expect any of them to be wins. Does that make sense? Right. Like, like I think all three of those games are winnable. But I wouldn't expect or say, like, oh, they're going to win that game. Um, So you've got those three. Then you come to the bye, and you look at it, and you go San Francisco, Chicago, Philly, Seattle. (laughs) <laughs> that that looks like one winnable game depending on what Seattle's doing on January 7th and the way it's shaping up is that they're going to be playing for a, a wild card position. So, you look at it, you say you say f- four games out of the seven left winnable. You look at it if LA is without Matt Stafford, you feel confident in two games and Houston would be a coin flip leaning Houston until we see more from Kyler and Pittsburgh right now, the same thing. That's how I kind of look at it. So if you say four of the seven are winnable, you would like to win three of those games. And I know going three and and four is a huge thing, but you know, but that would it, put them going four and four in the final eight games with Kyler, and that with the roster that they have. Well, and a, how they've that's played. A that's a win. And, overall. and how they've how they've played so far, like you know, because you look back, obviously one, two, three, and even parts of four and five were competitive, and then and then the L.A. game the Seattle game and the Baltimore game, you really never felt like they had a chance, right? Like those games were closer score-wise at times, but like you just never felt like they had a chance. And then obviously it all came to a a screeching halt in the worst possible way (laughs) in the Cleveland game. And so, like I said, if you're in the, in the Dallas Obviously, that's the best. But if you're in the Dallas, Washington, um, Atlanta type of game, you're you're fine. Um, you can't afford to be in games like, obviously, Cleveland, but even Baltimore, like where you're 
you know, so many of those points were garbage time, right? Like they were just, they were just garbage time. Um, and so you look at it and you go, well, you know, yeah, it was 31-24, but was it really that? I mean, 17 fourth quarter points for a team that had not scored <laughs> since the Dallas game in, in the second half. Like, let's let's be realistic. And so that's what you want to see more of, right? You want to see you want to see this team competing and being in games. And if they win games like the Atlanta game, in the sense of like come you know, come back, game-winning drive, things like that, then all you're doing is getting ready and preparing a lot of the young guys for close, impactful games next year. Um, Because let's be honest, even though they're technically not eliminated, and even if they got to 5-8, and eight, which means they go 4-0 and oh for the first four games back for Kyler, neither you or I are going to if they're at five and eight at the bye week go, Hey, they're still in this. We're going to both, <laughs> we're both going to be like, look, mathematically. Yes, they're in this, but San Francisco, Philly, Seattle is a juggernaut of a schedule. And unfortunately they played one of the hardest schedules in the NFL this year, which also goes to the reality that uh, this was going to be a tough season overall. It also sucks because when you, which I mean, I understand it from a competition standpoint, but it sucks that they're punished for playing such a hard schedule in tie breaking scenarios in the draft, right? Like that the New York, the New York giants beat them and hold the second or yeah, the second pick over them now. Um, because they don't care about head to head. They're more concerned with strength of schedule and the strength of schedule for the Cardinals is so Yeah, uh, and I get it. I mean, so good. I get it. I get why. Yeah, you're 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 helping a team that obviously wasn't any good and was losing games still. Whereas as opposed to the Cardinals are playing a really tough schedule and losing games that they're supposed to lose, right? So, oh, this isn't a shock. <laughs> yeah I, that would be you know so so if they get to if obviously three more wins would be huge getting to five would be that would be i don't want i don't want to say unbelievable but like you said that would be four and four in kyler's return so so three wins Getting to four total, I th- which is so sad to say. Let's be honest, as well. <laughs> but but three more wins, so four or two more wins, getting to four total would be i ideal. But getting to five, anything where they're five hundred or better with Kyler, it just puts to bed any notion of needing to move on at that right. point, right? I, absolutely. I think that's that's a perfect way to say it. To say if they're 500, if they go 4 and 4 or better over the last 8 games, you feel 100% confident in what their what what the plan is moving forward and that will be build around Kyler rather than blow it up. <laughs> right. That's yeah. And the starting over you just and it's a good thing it's it's good vibes you know good vibes 
Um, so yeah, yeah. Let's let's hope for that. And, and if we could, if they can somehow get win five out of that, go five and three down the stretch. That's going to that that would be unbelievable. That, right, right. Well, and then it gets them to six wins. It hits that that because their their projected win total was for much of the off season five and a half, and so hitting get win six. Hey guys, when we said we said take over five and a half wins, okay, we're gonna win you some money. Now it's you know it, it as bad as they were early on. So we now we've got to hope for well, just well, what happens like. What happens this week? If they beat Houston, okay, then you feel a lot better because Houston's playing really well. Um, the Rams, uh, Matthew Stafford's expected to be back against Seattle this week, which means after that. But even with Matthew Stafford back, you, you beat Houston, you feel like at home you could beat the Rams. The Steelers are definitely beatable, for sure. And you get momentum going into the bye week, and then things could fall apart, but whatever. So, you know, if, if somehow, somehow, they manage to rattle off these four wins and get to five overall, if they win one of the final four, sweet, sweet. And then that's right where we had it, like, we were like six, seven wins, and then, then we look like brilliant people. And Right. And we're all about making ourselves look brilliant. Um, cause the stuff that makes us look dumb, we just ignore, right? That's, that's how we, that's how the internet and podcasts work. There's no accountability for it. You, you actually, you, if you thought we said something dumb, you're going to have to go back to the old episodes and we're on the 486th one. Are you going <laughs> to listen to all that? <laughs> but yeah. So yeah, that, that, that'd be fantastic. And with that, we'll ri- we'll wrap up this edition of the Rise of Secret podcast. Mr. Our Cardinals talk on the web. That's Seth Cox. I'm just Rue. We'll be back again later this week to preview Cardinals Texans no longer the tank bowl thanks for listening we'll be back in a couple of days thanks for listening to the latest edition of the rise up sea red podcast listen to previous episodes and subscribe to the show on apple podcasts stitcher radio Audioboom, or many other podcast platforms so shows are delivered directly to your mobile device please give the show a five-star rating and always support the sponsors who support the show We'll be back soon for the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Rise up Red Sea, be Red Sea Red, and of course, rise up Sea Red.